Okay, there we are. Lights out, everybody. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I wanted to do it. I, no, you know. no, no. Completely appropriate. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, I was hoping to do something along those lines just because I... I must confess, I don't really run that many lights out, and the reason for that is I don't have as many as I'd like. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, lights out double feature. That's what's going on today. Get your blankie. Yeah. Cuddle up. Hope you're going to like these. These sound pretty spooky. <laughs> This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And today we're going to do a double feature of Lights Out Everybody. Unfortunately, due to time constraints and not being able to find stories in time, none of them are Edgar Allan Poe, which is unfortunate. And I believe you have more to say about that. I do. I do. Today, January the 19th, would have been Mr. Poe's 212th birthday because he was born in 1809. Of course, he died very, very young at the age of 40 under some mysterious circumstances. There are many theories about that if you'd like to look them up. Um, when I was but a wee larva, Edgar Allan Poe was very influential on my reading tastes and I devoured a lot of his work. Uh, I still enjoy reading it. I've got a handful of favorite sonnets. I've got had a few things memorized here and there. Uh, of course, both Michael and I enjoy the Roger Corman film adaptations with Vincent Price and others. Yes. yes. Um, which are often in, incredibly loosely based on Poe. But here's the thing. He did a lot of short stories. And those those do lend themselves for fleshing out if you've got a mind to do it. Of course, if you are familiar with Mr. Poe's work, you may also be familiar with the tradition of the Poe toaster, which is not an appliance, but rather for 70 plus years, an unidentified gentleman or person in a broad brimmed hat and scarf would make an appearance at Poe's original grave uh, because of course his, his body was moved uh, a handful of years after his death. And there's a lovely gruesome detail um, that I absolutely adore. When they when they in, disinterred the body, his coffin had split down the middle. So when they uncovered him, he was grinning up at them through the crack in the coffin lid, which is completely perfect. But they, they moved his body to a different location and the, the Poe toaster will go to the original location. He will pour himself a glass of cognac, toast to the memory of... of Mr. Poe and leave the rest of the bottle of cognac and some roses. And for 70 some years, people have been trying to catch this person and, and identify him. And, and I think that's trash. Uh, just, just let the thing happen. Um, the original toaster passed and the tradition was passed to someone else for a little while. And then it was uh, discontinued for a few years. And now I think uh, from what I've, I'm seeing, the Poe Historical Society has a designated toaster. They've just 
assigned this duty to someone to still continue the tradition. So it's a pretty phenomenal thing. It's pretty creepy. Um, it's pretty wonderful, I think, that on nearly 100 years after the man's death, there was someone showing up at his gravesite to remember him. And if you have a mind, pour yourself a glass of your favorite libation, and raise a toast to one of our, well, I, the gentleman who gave us the detective novel, frankly, uh, with the murders in the room morgue, even though that is a problematic work to talk about now because of the orangutan, which we do not mention, but <clears throat> just a um, heck of a creepy guy and somebody whose work has been foundational for a lot of other authors and a lot of, a lot of writing traditions. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Certainly Poe had an influence on H.P. Lovecraft and several other yeah. people, you know, so, and probably the list is incalculable to be able to mention everybody who might have had, who might have had an influence from Poe. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to choose my words. Um, well, and I'm, I don't mean to have so many pregnant pauses. Sadly for today, though, there will be no Poe, but hopefully next year I will be able to amass a couple of different things and we will be able to celebrate the holiday better. I confess the fault is mine. Uh, it snuck up on me, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't let you know because I'd forgotten. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. I will try and, and mark it in some way so that I can, you know. Yeah, we can put it in the calendar. That's pretty easy to do. Yeah. But what do we have for today? For today, we have a double header of Lights Out Everybody. And the first one up is called The Revolt of the Worms. And it is about a scientist who basically leaves the city to be able to go out to the country and wants to grow much larger, better roses and everything. And his assistant drops a growth formula on the ground and it has nasty results from what I'm to understand. So here is the revolt of the worms from Lights Out Everybody as it aired October 13th, 1942. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now.
This is Mr. O. Arch Obler. Uh, tell me, what is your attitude about worms? Yes, worms, those strange, slimy little creatures who come out in the dark and till your garden and sometimes die an unfortunate death on a fish hook. You really don't have any opinion about them? Well, perhaps you will after you hear my play, Revolt of the Worms. The action begins after a short message. And now, if you haven't already done so, turn off your lights now and listen to Revolt of the Worms. All I can do is sit and think and wait. Wait for the floors to lift and the walls to crash. Facts. Think of facts. Yes, a journal of facts. Think how it began, why it's happening. Journal of facts until the walls crash in and the thick flesh. Charles Prentice. There's a fact. Chemist and fool. Fool. Run away. Run away. Run away. Run away. Run away from reality. War. 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 Run away. You mean we're going to live in this godforsaken place, Charles? Yes, Claire, I remember. You did say that. And I said... Of course we're going to live here. It's ideal for my work. But we're so far away from everything, Charles. So far away from what? Your friends? My friends? All right, Charles. Whatever you say, Charles. You never disagreed with me, did you, Claire? Why, it's so quiet up here, it's almost as if we are out of this world. Yes, I remember. Young Jackson, you did say that. I like working with you, sir. Why, up here, it's almost as if we were out of this world. Out of the world? I wanted to be out of the world. Hide. Until it's over. Yes, why not? Why not? What are you going all the way up there for, Prentice? To do my work, of course. But who cares about propagating new varieties of roses at a time like this? The times have nothing to do with it. I'll do what I please. I'll do what I please. But, Prentice, to leave suddenly like this, it doesn't make sense. Roses are fine in normal times, but a chemist of your ability? In times like these, certainly there's more productive work that you could do. I'm not interested in your opinions. I'll do what I please. You hear me? Do what I please. Do? What I please. Yes, sir. Everything's ready, sir. Greenhouse. All ready for you, sir. One week ago, Wednesday. Does the wind always blow up here, Charles? Eh? I said the wind. Does it always blow like that? Why? Frightening. Mighty less frightening than the things that are happening back in the city? I suppose so. I know so. Where's that boy? Jackson. Yes, sir. The phosphates, are they ready yet? Uh, not quite, sir. Well, get them ready. Every one of the plants. We work late tonight. Very late. Work late and hard. That was the answer to everything. Chemist, of your ability, in times like these, there certainly must be more important work than propagating roses that you could do. A chemist of your ability, in times like these, there certainly must be more no, important... No, no, I wouldn't think of that, I told myself. Wouldn't think of that. Roses... Yes, develop the greatest rose in the world. That would be my answer to them. While they bombed and burned, I'd develop the largest rose the world had ever known. And when the world settled down again, I'd come back and bring the rose to them, and they wouldn't care if I had run away. My plan. Why did it go wrong? Claire, why did it go wrong? Claire... Oh. Dead. You're dead. They killed you. Dead as I'll be dead. 
If I could only think, why did it go wrong? Well, I put the solution that's left over, Mr. Prentice. Yes, I do remember. That was it. Oh, gosh, Mr. Prentice, I'm trying to understand, but I'm so tired. You must keep working. The only salvation is to work. What's salvation got to do with roses? Don't be impertinent. Do your work. Yes, sir. Two cc for each plant, and careful, don't let any of it touch the stem. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You weren't very happy, were you, Jackson? Those were things you couldn't understand. It it isn't that I I don't want to work, Mr. Prentice. It's just that I'm all mixed up. Uh, These roses. Why do I have to pour this stuff on them every hour on the hour? It doesn't make sense. Hormones? Sure, I know what they are. Secretions from the glands in the human body. Sure, I know what they're for. Make us grow and everything. I get it. That, that's what you try to do with the roses and make them grow fast and big. But how do you know these hormones will work on plants, Mr. Prentice? And how do you know how much to give them? And, and how big will the roses grow, Mr. Prentice? Questions. Everlasting questions. But now I ask them, why did it go wrong? Thursday. Thursday? What do I remember? Well, I throw the hormone mixture that's left over, Mr. Prentice. Mr. Prentice, I said, well, I throw the hormones... No way! Can't you see that I'm working? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. I remember. Friday. What a Friday. Friday night. Claire? Yes? Is that you? Yes, Charles. What are you doing walking out here in the dark? It's a lovely night. Romantic at your age. I just like the night. You women, come back to the house. All right. Crazy, walking around in the dark. (laughs) Oh, what's the matter with you? Can't you walk? If I hadn't caught you... It's slippery. What are you talking about? It's all slippery around here. Don't talk foolishness. But it is. By George, you're right. What? Stand still, I'll light a match. I... Had some... Yes. Now, we'll see what... Charles. Stop grabbing. What? (laughs) Worms. What? Can't you see? Just ordinary earthworms. Night crawlers. We just walked over a few of them. Now, you women with your fears and your squeamishness. Walked on a few worms and you make more noise and more fuss. Yes. I remember. Friday night. The, the extra hormone solution, where will I throw it, Mr. Prentice? Mr. Prentice, where will I throw the extra hormone solution? Saturday. And then the night. Jackson! Jackson, where are you? Jackson, I told you to stay in the house. Jackson, where are you? It's time to feed the plants. Jackson, where are you? He's not here, Charles. Claire, you startled me walking up like that. I didn't mean to. That infernal boy, where is he? Have you seen him? He's not in the house. But I told him not to go out. I told him only an hour ago he's got to work all night. The plants must be watered every hour on the hour. He went out. Well, why didn't you stop him? Now I have to go chase after him. Jackson! Jackson, are you out there? Come in. Charles, what? What did you think it was? Thunder. It's starting to rain. Shut the door. Shut the door, I say. But the boy... If he hasn't the sense to come in out of the rain, it's just too bad. I've got enough to do with worrying about my roses without worrying about him. And don't you go out after him. He'll come back. He'll come back. Saturday night. 
And when it was day again... Charles, Charles, wake huh? up. Huh? Please wake up. Oh, where? You're on the couch. You fell asleep on the couch. Charles, huh? get up right away. Huh? What's the matter with you? Why should I get up? What difference does it make? Listen to me, please. The boy, he isn't back yet. What? Huh? Jackson, he isn't back yet. Charles, where can he be? The storm, you slept. I waited. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you looked in his room? I just came from there. Charles, where could he have gone to? All through the oh, storm. Oh, stop talking so much and let me get up. Go see. Oh. Must you follow me? Why didn't you wake me up? Why did you let me sleep? I must have fallen asleep, too. I opened my eyes. It was day. Oh, Charles. Oh, stop oh, Charlesing me. Crazy young fool, so he spent the night outside. So what's the difference? Teach him a lesson. Well, no wonder he isn't back yet. Fog like this, it's as bad as night. Charles, I... All right, all right. What am I supposed to do? Go wandering through fog like a bloodhound, like a fool? Don't worry, he'll be back. He'll be back. But you never did come back, did you, Jackson? When the sun came out and that everlasting wind came up and lifted the fog. Charles, Charles, come here. Where? Uh, where are you? Back of the house, Charles. Come quickly. Oh, oh what is it? What do you want now? The boy isn't around. I've, I've looked everywhere. Now, Charles, what... what's happened back here? What? Look at the ground. Well, what? Who plowed this ground up? Plowed? Yes, certainly plowed. Can't you see? Some crazy drunken fool plowed up the ground. But during the night? Charles, how could that be? You believe what you see, don't you? It's that boy. What? Yes, that Jackson went crazy, found a plow, tore up the ground and ran away. Went out of his mind, that's it. The boy's gone crazy, tearing up the ground. Gone crazy. Gone crazy. <laughs> Friends, we leave our The Devil and Mr. O story of Revolt of the Worms to take a deep breath and a word from your station. And now back to our The Devil and Mr. O story of Revolt of the Worms. And then that night, that same night after I thought Jackson had gone crazy, run away. I went back to my work, Sunday night. Charles, Charles, can I speak to you? Charles, please stop your work and talk to me. Haven't you lived with me enough years to know I don't like to be interrupted when I'm working? But I'm frightened. Are you? Really? Charles, stop it. Are you out of your mind? Yes, maybe I am. What did you say? Maybe I am crazy. All right, maybe I am. That's the only way I could have lived with you all these years. What? Endured your selfishness, your unbelievable selfishness. Well... Everything's for you for 20 years, everything for you. Now, that's your enough. Your work, your pleasures, what you think, what you want, everything for you, nothing for anyone else. Will you the shut up? The gentle little Mr. Prentice, the scientist, the good husband who never lifts his voice. Mother in heaven, I'd rather be married to a fool with a heart in him than you. Well, I... You haven't got a heart. You never had a heart. It's you, you, and no one else, and that boy can be dead out there and you don't care. And I can be dead and you don't care as long as you're safe and doing what you want to do. Will you go away and let me go on with my work? <laughs> Charles, Charles, I'm frightened. That boy... Now there are noises. I'm asking you for the last time to go away and let me do my work. But listen to me. You've been out here all night. But I've been in the back of the house alone, and I've been listening, and I didn't want to come in here, but I had to. Charles, things I said, I meant them. For years, I've meant them. 
All right, that doesn't matter. But I tell you this, there's something outside the house. Find out what it is, Charles. Twenty years ago, I thought you were an irrational woman. I thought I'd trained you out of that irrationality. I was wrong. I'll humor you just this once, but never again. Where are these noises? At the back of the house. The lantern handed to me? Yes. Thank you. You're frightened. You don't have to go with me. I want to know... What? That you're a fool? Well? So what am I supposed to hear? There's nothing. Hello out there. Hello. Well, what now? Listen. To what? Listen. To what? I... I thought... You heard the wind whistling through the cracks in your brain. Come into the house. Charles, wait. Wait for... Uh... Here? Yes. So what? Give me the lantern. If it's that boy... Oh, it could be him, couldn't that it? That crazy young fool playing practical jokes. If I get around the corner of the house and... <gasps> going on here? Charles, something moving under the ground. Yes. So dark. Can't quite make out. Charles, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. Animal of some sort? Take me back to the house. Oh, go yourself. Moon will come out of the clouds. See what this is. Give me the lantern, Charles. No, I want to see. The house is back there. Turn around and go back to it. Go ahead. All right. All right. Yes. It is something burrowing. Infernal moon come out. I'd see there. Coming out. Now I'll see what... Holes. Holes in the ground all over. What are they? Who... Bomb craters? But that isn't possible. No. Animal burrows. But what animal could make a hole four feet across? What animal... Claire! Where are you? Claire! so dark, I can't see you. Claire! Where are you? Claire! Claire! Where are you? Claire! Yes, Claire. Claire! I ran through Claire! the night looking for you. The echo Claire! of my voice is still in my ears. Looking Claire! for you and the moon was Claire! under the clouds and I couldn't see and I couldn't Claire! find you. And then I did. You had fallen into one of those craters one of those holes in the ground. I couldn't see you, but I could hear you. But which one of the holes? They were all over ground, pockmarked with them. I ran around in the dark. I could hear you, but couldn't find you. And then the moon, it was out again. Oh, blast the moon. Why did it come out? If it hadn't come out, I wouldn't have seen. And my head... Stop it, stop it, stop it, Claire. Stop it. I can still hear you. I can still see you, your body down in that hole. As I ran toward you, suddenly I saw that something else was coming toward you. 
Something that glistened wet in the moonlight. Something long and slimy. A great twisting snake. Yet not a snake. Not a snake. And the fear in me made me fall to the ground. And I saw as I lay there, I saw... The thing moved toward the hole in the ground as if you weren't there. As if it were blind and couldn't see. Like a great blind worm. It was a worm. A worm, ten, twenty, no, thirty feet long, crawling in fright to its home in the ground. And it moved toward you, Claire. Covered you. Crushed you. You're dead, Claire. You've been dead for two days. Why should I tear out of my memory all the horror of how you died? Of how young Jackson must have died? Well, I throw the extra hormone solution, Mr. Prentice. Well, I throw the extra hormone solution, Mr. Prentice. Yes. It's very funny, isn't it, Jackson? I ran away and I was going to bring back to the world the greatest rose. But I brought back the greatest worms. The hormones you threw away soaked into the ground and into them. Hundreds of little worms burrowing under the ground, soaking into their flesh, into their life process, miraculously increasing the growth of them until overnight they grew and grew without limit into those terrible horrors. And they are still growing. I can hear them. For the last two days, squirming around the house and over it, great monstrous pieces of slimy flesh squirming and writhing. Hundreds of them, thousands of them burrowing under the ground and at night coming out of the ground. I have seen them, a sea of flesh, a sea of worms. Yes, I hear you out there, you worms. You were under the ground and now there's no room underground for you, so you've come out of the ground. The world was yours first, so now you're going to take it back again. The world for the worms. You're under the house. You're lifting it. The walls will fall and crush me and I'll be dead and I want to be dead. Yes, now I know why this is happening to me. I thought I could run away from the world and what is happening in the world. You hear that, you worms out there? I thought I could run away. Just sit here and wait, wait for them. I know how I'll die. The walls falling, crushing. Ooh. Window. Something behind me. A worm. 
at the window. Head looking in. He's crawling in. And another following. And another. They're filling the room. Worms all around me. The worms. The worms. Around me. Worms covering me. Cold flesh. Wet flesh. The worms. The worms. Jobler. I know, I know what you're thinking. Worms that size, a pure put-on science fiction? Well, personally, I don't believe there's any such category of story as science fiction anymore. Our scientific progress has been so accelerated that what was fiction in the morning can actually happen tonight. Thirty years ago, long before human extinction became a possibility with the explosion of the first atom bomb, I wrote a play about the last two survivors in the world, at the time, it was sheer fiction. Something could happen to this earth of ours that would leave only two survivors, a writer's brainstorm. Yet who among us does not know cold reality, the red buttons east and west, that could trigger off a global nightmare? I wrote another play a handful of decades ago that was equally an impossibility. It concerned the very laughable idea that a spaceship was returning from the moon after the first successful landing on that ball of cheese. Yet there are few among us today who haven't witnessed that first giant step on the lunar cinders and the very fantastic return voyage in triumph. Fantasy, fiction, fact, it's all interlaced into tomorrow. Okay, we have a postscript to The Revolt of the Worms, our first feature. The uh, main scientist, Charles Prentice, was played by Lou Merrill. Lou Merrill is also in our second feature, coming up here in just a second. Uh, the assistant, uh, Jackson, was played 
by Howard Duff, who you might know from the Twilight Zone episode, A World of Difference. Our second feature is called Mr. Mags, stars Lou Merrill, and it also is about a man who buys a trunk at auction and gets a heck of a lot more than he bargained for. So here is Mr. Mags from December 1st, 1942. Lights out, everybody. You're listening to Couch and Coffee Table. Ionized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. It is later than you think. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. My name, Arch Obler. Tonight, another in our series of tales of the weird and the unusual. The idea for today's play, the story of Mr. Maggs, came to me a few years ago when I was in England, pre-war England. Calm, peaceful, serene, no enemy bombers overhead, no screaming sirens, and England happily without worry. But before we start, Frank Martin has a word for you. Friends, these critical times are making terrific extra demands on all of us. But if you've gotten miserably thin and tired and run down, don't necessarily blame the war or your job. It's quite possible you simply need more vitamin B and iron than you're getting from your food. Well, if you do need more of these vital substances, get them a quick, easy way. Take ironized yeast tablets. They help two ways in cases of such deficiencies. Help two ways to build you up. Help two ways to increase weight and strength. Help two ways to step up pep and energy. Remember that name, ironized yeast tablets. And now, lights out, everybody. Gentlemen, now here's an opportunity you can't afford to miss. As the Americans say, an opportunity of a lifetime. In auctioning off these effects of various deceased members of the community, I assure you that no single piece has more pretentious value than this genuine oaken traveling truck. As you see, gentlemen, it's bound in brass and locked tight and secure with a massive, genuine brass lock. What's in it? Nobody knows. But the law says that being unclaimed, strange merchandise, whoever buys it gets it all, as you might say, with all that's in it, be it gold or silver plate or the jewels of India. Now, what am I offered for this chest? Make your bids and make them good, gentlemen. Do I hear someone say ten pounds? Five shillings. Now, gentlemen, look at it. Locked tight. And nobody knows what's inside. A fortune waiting here. And somebody talks of five shillings. 
No, come. Let's on with it. What am I offering? Five and six. Oh, gentlemen, for firewood alone. I offer six. Six. Six and six. Seven. Well, gentlemen, it appears we're having a competition in little numbers. Is there anybody here who would like to raise a bid in April? Seven and six. Eight. Gentlemen, I ask you, ain't there anybody here who's heard what I said about this chest being locked and sealed? Oh, let it go. It's the last thing I've got to auction. So let it go and we'll all go home. Go into the little gentleman right down here for eight children even. Do you hear any more? So, step right up here, sir, and claim your purchase. Now, what might your name be for the record? Name? My name is Mags. Yes, Harold Mags. And the money, Mr. Mags? Oh, yes, sir. My pocketbook got it all ready. Eight shillings, sir. Here you are. Right you are. You understand, of course, the cartridge is extra. Oh? Oh, is it? Right you are. Now, where will I send the chest? I don't know. I mean, extra charges. Where will I send it? Uh, 92 Applegate Southwest 3. Right you are. Is... Is that all? That's all. The chest is yours. You'll get it in the morning. In the morning? But I'll be at work in the morning. Your old woman will be home, won't she? Oh, yes, but she doesn't in know anything In the morning, about... they'll deliver it, and in the morning, you'll get it. Good night to you. Oh, good night, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you to me, huh? If you knew what I know of that trunk, you wouldn't be thanking me. You'd curse me to the devil. Yes, Agatha. Well, I must say, it's a fine time for a man to be getting home. Well, Mr. Bainbridge asked me to stay and check the inventory. Never mind what Mr. Bainbridge said. Did you get anything extra for doing what Mr. Bainbridge said? Well, I... I Never uh... mind what he said. I tell you what you get from me. A cold supper, that's what. Oh, it's all right. Oh, Agatha. is it? Now, just a minute, Mr. Harold Maggs. There's something else I want to talk to you about. Yes, Agatha? How much money have you been making on the races? Races? Me? You. Oh, no, you know I never play the horses. And how much money did that rich uncle of yours in Australia leave you? Australia? Me? Why, Agatha, what are you talking about? I haven't got any uncles in Australia. Oh, then maybe it's a gold mine you discovered. Or maybe a well that gives a hundred gallon of petrol a minute. Agatha, are you all right? A chest. Oh. Why did you buy it? Well, They I... didn't give it to you, did they? It was only eight shillings and I... Only eight shillings? You mean to stand there and tell me you spent eight whole God-given shillings for that thing? Uh, yes. Harold Meg's I ought... Agatha, what's that? Never you mind what that is. Up in the garret? Yes, yes, up in the garret, where that great prize of yours is. Up in the garret where you should be until your head's examined. But, Agatha, what... In... It's Freddy, breaking the thing open to see what's inside. Breaking it open? Yes, and I told him to do it. Freddy, have you opened it yet? Yes, ma'am. Oh, Agatha, please, I don't want him to... No, keep quiet. I know you haven't got a key to it. But Raymond told me all about this prize package that did. Oh, but... Plunked it right down in the middle of the kitchen floor. And poor Freddie and I had to carry it all the way upstairs. Oh, but Agatha... Oh, we'll find out what's in it soon enough. Oh, no, please, he shouldn't break the lock. It's a good one. Maybe I could pick it. I'll go up No, there. no, Harold, come back here. Let Freddie do what I told him to. Harold! Harold, come back here this minute. 
Harold, you regret this, making me climb these stairs. Harold, do you hear me? Ma'am, ma'am, make him stop. Harold, Harold, what'll come over you? He huh? won't smash my chest, he won't. Uh, well, Mum said I could, she did, she did, she oh, said I could. Oh, you strike that boy. Oh, I didn't. Well, you thought about it. He may not be your flesh and blood, Harold Meggs, but he's mine. Ah, he's a big lout, 30 years old. Mum, he called me I a big lout again. Quite enough. Harold Meggs, give me that hammer. Yes, Agatha. I'll fix your precious chest, your precious lock. <laughs> That's oh, right, Mum. Show him. Show him. Oh, a good one, Mum. You smashed it. Oh, it was a good padlock. <laughs> you keep quiet. <laughs> Buy a cat in the poke, will you? Teach him, Mum. Well, now we'll see your grand bargain. Help me lift the lid, Freddy. <laughs> sure thing, oh. Mum. We'll see what you wasted oh, yeah. my good money. <laughs> Mum. Why? Why, it's empty. Empty? Harold, Mags, you wretch, you. Taking the bread out of the mouth of your good wife and your son to buy empty trunks. Wait, Agatha. Wait for what? For what? It's not empty. What are you talking about? See? The whole inside crusted with dried blood. anymore? I said there's someone in the house. What? What do you mean? Listen. I don't hear anything. Don't talk. Listen. Ah! <gasps> you heard? Yes. Up in the garret. Oh. Get up and do something. Well, what could I do? Well, you're do? not going to let them steal the house away from us. There. Again. But why in the garret? Are you going to lie there talking while oh, they... But we've nothing there for anyone to take there. <laughs> It's Freddy. Freddy? What? Come on. No. No, not up there. Well, I'm going. Harold, come back and don't leave me alone to be murdered. Harold, don't go up there. Harold, I'm frightened. Agatha. Agatha, come up here quickly. No. No, I'm afraid. Agatha, quickly. All right, all right. I'm more afraid down here than I'll be up there. Can't be much to be afraid of. If you're not afraid, Harold. So dark up here. Well, Harold, what is it? Agatha, come here. Help me. Well, what is it? What's the matter with you? What? It's your Freddy. Freddy? Freddy! The lid of the chest seems to be closed on his head. And I can't seem to open it. Nothing we can do for you. I I knew you loved the boy. 
guess he's the only thing you ever loved in all your life. Oh, do something. Do something, you worm, you. What is there to do? Storm's so bad, just have to wait until morning, that's all. If you hadn't bought that infernal chest. If I hadn't bought it. Murdered him, you did. You hated him for the memory of my first husband. Now, I wouldn't say that, Agatha. Why not? You bought the chest, so it's your doing. Well, in a way, you're right. I brought the evil into the house now, didn't I? What are you talking about? An unhappy house, and now there's evil in it. What are you saying? Since we came downstairs, all these hours since it happened, I've been thinking. Thinking what? How do you think Freddy died? And why? You're crazy? Asking me if I know how he died? I saw it, didn't I? But I asked you, why did he die? Why? Why? Because the infernal lid of it fell on his head, that's why. Oh, my Freddy. Yes. <laughs> the evil did it. Evil, evil. You are crazy. The only thing evil was your buying it. You just don't understand, do you, Agatha? What are you looking at me like that for? I tell you, the lid fell down on his head. Evil. Evil, evil, evil. Stop trying to make me as crazy as you are. Come on back up there and help me carry my son down so I can stretch him out decent and respectful for when the undertaker comes. No, Agatha. What? I've made up my mind. I won't go up there again. Oh, yes, you will. He'll lie dead in the bed, my son. Not up there. No, Agatha, I've made up my mind. I figured out that up in the garret the evil has taken... Evil be blasted. My son, you'll help me carry him down. Don't stand there. Don't stand there. Storm's over. Help me carry down his body so I can lay it out decently. No, Agatha. No, hear me out. It's evil. I'll have you locked away, I tell you. Evil, and I knew somehow that it was there. That's why I dragged you downstairs again so quickly. You never thought much of me, Aggie, but this time, believe me, if I go up there with you, it means my life. I've listened to enough. A split-headed little worm, that's what you are. There's nothing up there but that blasted chest you bought and Freddy's body. And if you won't help me bring him down, then, curse you, I'll bring him down myself. No, Agatha, come back. Aggie, come back. Agatha, I beg you. Aggie! Aggie, you shouldn't have. This once in all these years, you should have listened to me. If you'd have listened this time, I would have meant something more than... (gasps) Agatha? Agatha, what's doing up there? Are you all right? Agatha, do you hear me? Are you all right? What in the... Harold! Harold! Harold, help me! Agatha, what? Harold! Agatha, what? What happened? What's the matter? Oh, Agatha, heaven help me. I can't come up to you. I'm afraid. Agatha, that's another hour. It's hard waiting, Agatha. I've got to keep so quiet. I've got to listen. Perhaps you'll say something. Call me again. I've got to know what happened. Man can go crazy not knowing what happened. I'll keep very quiet. 
Perhaps I'll hear you saying something up there. Agatha? Wind. I hear nothing but the wind, Agatha. I'm afraid to move out of this chair, Agatha. As afraid as I've ever been in all my life. And that's been many times, Agatha. Something safe about this chair. It's my chair. I've sat in it so many times it knows me. And while I'm in it, nothing can happen to me. Now, can it? But if I were to get up, leave it, walk toward the door. No, I won't do that. I'll sit here and wait in the chair. And when it's daylight again... <gasps> Agatha, is that you? I, I heard you again. Agatha? Agatha? Agatha, why don't you answer me? I hear you moving around. Why don't you answer me? Agatha! Agatha, isn't it you? Sounds as if... as if a heavy chest were being moved. Moved along to the head of the stairs. No. Nothing more. So quiet. <gasps> Coming down the steps. <sighs> Coming down. Agatha, is that you? You're bringing the chest down? Agatha, is it you? No, no, it couldn't be you, could it, Agatha? And who is bringing it down? Who is it? Answer me. Answer me! <laughs> I've got to get out of here. Run. But I can't. I can't. I'm too afraid. Who, who is it? Agatha, it is you, isn't it? It, it must be you. It must be. Uh, not many more steps, then I'll see you. No, no, I won't look. I won't. Stop you, whoever you are. Don't bring that chest down here. Stop. Stop! Stopped. No further. Stopped. I won't have to see. I won't have to see. <gasps> Again. Oh, no. So close, bottom of the stairs. I'll see. I'll see. I'll see. What? Oh, if I could close my eyes. Only one more step. I know it. I know it. Just the chest, no one with it. How can that be? No one. How could a trunk come down the stairs 
one at a time, alone. Buzzing in my head. Oh, my head. Why do I sit here staring at that thing of evil? I've got to know. Yes, I've got to know. Get up. Close to it. Just a chest. Why should I be afraid of it? Just a chest. Put my hand on it. <gasps> Move it. Move it under my hand. Thing of evil, I'll get you. You won't get me, I'll get you. My axe. Where's my axe? Closet. Was in here. Yes. Got to find my axe. Won't get me, you blasted chest, you. Got it. You hear me, you evil? Axe in my hand, I'm coming for you. You came after me, but I'll get you. I see you there at the foot of the steps, you chest, you. Lying there so quiet, aren't you? Think I'll open you and then you'll get me too? Well, you won't. You won't. I'm coming for you. See? I'm creeping close to you, slowly, slowly, the way you crept down the stairs for me. How do you like it, you evil, waiting for your doom? I'll get close to you, I'll swing my axe, and then your evil will be over, won't it? You'll be wood, wood, and twisted bands of brass, and then I won't have to be afraid anymore, now will I? Now! I'm close enough! Your doom, chest, I'm your doom! Here! There. I did it. I did it, you evil chest. You cracked you wide open. I'll pull the rest of you wide apart. And then... Ah! Agatha! You were in it! My axe, it's in your skull! Harry. Oh, Harry. Yes, Mr. Jemison. Harry, uh, that chest you delivered over Applegate Way. Where's the signed receipt for it? Oh, there it is. It's lying right here. Uh, received one chest. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at, Mr. Jamison? Uh, just thinking. Thinking of what, might I ask you, sir? Thinking and wondering if they found out. What's that, sir? That the chest was the one in which that murderer, the young last Wednesday... Used to stuff his murdered victims. Cool. I wonder if that little man that bought it. What was his name? Uh, Mags. Found out about his bargain yet. Phew. Now, just a second, Mr. Obler. You mean to say that this old chest killed those people? 
I, uh, I didn't say. The supernatural, the supernormal, and coincidence. Who can separate the three? I'd like to tell you something that actually happened to me, though, a few years ago. Very strange happening. Back in Chicago, late at night, I sat down on my typewriter to try to write a short story. I sat and sat and sat there, but no ideas came along. Then, just as the clock struck 12, and I remember the time very, very well, the idea came along. Quickly, I began to type the story, a criminal in a hotel room hiding from the police. He can't uh, remember uh, exactly what to do. Uh, finally, in his panic, he climbs out the window and hangs from a narrow ledge high above the city street. Finally, just as the police come in, he falls. Well, I got that very far with the plot, and then suddenly, rather tired, I went to bed. The next morning, the headline of the paper told of a criminal who had hidden in a hotel room, and then when the police broke in, the panic, and the hour was just at midnight, had tried to escape by hanging from the narrow ledge outside the room. In other words, as I was writing that story, at that very moment, mind you, it was actually happening. Coincidence, supernormal... Who knows? But now, uh, what happens next week, Mr. Obler? Next week, Scoop. Quite a strange title, I'll admit, and a very strange story. It's about a man who worked all his life only to have what he'd worked for taken away. <laughs> but that, as usual, is next week. Yes, Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's weird story of Scoop. Oh, by the way... In answer to those inquiring about scripts, a new book of plays by Arch Obler, Plays for Americans, has just been published by Ferrer and Reinhardt. These plays may be used without royalties by any person or group in connection with our country's war work. And if you need more vitamin B and iron, be sure to try Ironized Yeast, the one and only Ironized Yeast, with the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. It is later than you think. Next year, the best-dressed man in town may be the one with the oldest suit, because today it's practical, even stylish, to get extra wear from your clothes. And Energene cleaning fluid can help you do that, folks. For Energene is a spot remover. It gets rid of those little grease spots that moths love to feed on. Grease spots that settle on clothes and make them look worn, run down, and old before their time. Yes, Energene removes those spots easily, quickly, at practically no cost. Get more satisfactory wear from your clothes by caring for them this easy, economical, Energene way with Energene cleaning fluid. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, I think that's going to wrap it up for this particular episode. Uh, a couple from Lights Out. 
Again, I don't usually get a chance to do as many lights out because I don't have them, but there's a lot of them that are really pretty creepy, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to pair up some more of those. Um, one of the reasons why I like doing the double features is I really like a more hour-long show, and since the formats are about the same. I try to pair up suspense with suspense, lights out with lights out, and and so on. But I do believe I am going to try and change it up a little bit to show some variety and variation. Um, the interesting thing about both of these were uh, they are always ranked pretty high as more scarier than most. The more scariest shows of lights out and that's part of the reason why i wanted to pair them up together and run them for today is they've always come up really really high uh in suspense too that have always come up really really high that i want to pair at some point would be sorry wrong number and the hitchhiker mm. sorry wrong number has agnes moorhead and the hitchhiker has orson wells so these episodes are fan favorites that people listening have rated one of the scariest. Yeah, it's it's always sense. one that comes up in lists and everything like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like uh, Ray Bradbury's Zero Hour. Ah, that's yeah. always... A classic. Yeah, that's always one that comes up as far as a, a high, uh, high on the list just because of the creep factor. Yeah. And for these... Every every list I've looked at and everything has always said, you know, that these these two in particular are pretty creepy. And uh, I, I've I've heard some creepy ones from both Suspense and Lights Out and some of the other other more suspenseful horror filled anthology shows, but. There's also been some creepy things in terms of sci-fi and things like that, and I hope to get back to those as well. Do you think the creep factor here is due to writing, or is it due to the actor's performance, since we've got two episodes with the same actor? Or is, is the answer to that question yes? I think it's a combination of both, yeah. I think I'm, I'm not as familiar with Lou Merrill, as I am with the actor Howard Duff mm -hmm. uh, from the first one, Revolt of the Worms. Uh, from Howard Duff is a staple in radio. He, he did so much in radio, and I'm not as familiar with his TV and film, but he is a familiar actor as I looked up his internet movie database, and uh, he, he looks like someone that I probably have seen in tons of things and didn't realize it was him. So very, very talented character actor, I would imagine. Hmm. Uh, Lou, I haven't had a chance to look at as closely. The name doesn't sound as familiar to me as far as TV and film, but in terms of radio, his names come up here and there. And so I'm going to be on the lookout for other stuff, but definitely performance is a big factor, but with any with any story you know you can only get so much off the printed page and so i think whenever you have a happy meeting of the script and the actor really the interpretation is so good 
that everybody years later goes, wow, that was so incredible. Mm -hmm. High marks of writing, high marks of the acting, I think. Very cool. I'm glad you're asking these questions, actually. <laughs> I really am. Well, you, you have me at a slight disadvantage because I have not yet heard these these two episodes. You've uh... Oh, definitely. I will. I will play them for you because they both. I don't know if I'll play them before we go to sleep. <laughs> right. But that is um, unusual for you. Yeah. Usually you're you're just anything goes. Yeah. You usually it doesn't matter. But there's. A handful of them like this that, you know, these these were ranked pretty high as far as scariest shows ever. And, you know, so there there are there are factors that I want to look at before I run them. Hmm. But we're just going to wrap it up here and we're going to say we appreciate you stopping by and listening in. And we hope you guys continue to do so. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from us, we're available on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Copy RSS. And we also hope that you'll tell others about us. So until next time, take care. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And this has been Couch and Coffee Table. Bye. Bye.